How are we doing this morning? Hey, I'll tell you what, I am excited to be here with you uh, this sunny Sunday morning. Uh, John had asked me a while back, uh, said he's going to be preaching in West Des Moines and asked if I had any interest in coming down uh, to spend this morning with you and uh, I said, heck yes, I'll go, get me down there. Uh, I would love to uh, spend the morning and I've been to City Branch just a couple times. I, I work with the high school students at our West Des Moines campus um, and I got to tell you, it is so exciting, it's so refreshing, it's so fun to come down uh, to the other branches and to see what God is doing, not just in West Des Moines, but what God is doing all over uh, the Des Moines area, and it's, it's awesome to be here uh, with you today. Um, as I was looking at this Sunday coming up and, uh, you know, kind of been watching the week, and uh, I had the opportunity to preach last Friday, Good Friday, at North Branch, and I don't know if you remember uh, the weather last week as it was just, it's just been kind of wet and soggy and just kind of awful. And I thought that was a perfect, a perfect day uh, to talk about Good Friday and the sadness that goes with it. And as I was looking at the forecast, I, I don't know what happened, but I thought it was supposed to be another miserable weekend. I thought we were going to have rain and the Drake relays would get poured on for like the 100th consecutive uh, time. And, and to wake up this morning and to see the sunshine and just to even sit here worshiping with you and to watch the sunlight pour in, I just, I can't think of a better place than I'd rather be uh, with you here this morning. So to get started, I just want to take a moment and just acknowledge God's presence in this room, say a quick word of prayer, uh, and then we'll dive in. So let's pray. God, Lord, thank you for your word that speaks to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that leads us. Thank you, God, for the story that you have, not, not just the story that we've been focusing on lately with the, the death and the resurrection God, but with the story of your relationship with humanity. God, starting with creation and a relationship with you in a garden and ending someday when you come back where we get to remain with you forever. God, help that story to come alive in our hearts this morning. God, wake us up from the places that we're in. And God, show us what hope is really all about. In your name, amen. All right, well, if you're going to get to know me, since it's my first time preaching here, I feel like I have to do some introductory stuff. Uh, I want to kick off with a story that really gives you a sense of where I come from. So my name is Andy. I grew up in a little town. This is actually how I first met John. I grew up in Story City, Iowa, just like an hour north of here. Um, but I didn't grow up in town. I grew up outside of town, actually, on a dairy farm. And that makes me a country kid. And so I thought, what better way to introduce myself this morning than to tell you a story about my adventures on the farm. No, I did not grow up in a basement playing video games all day. No, I didn't have a cell phone attached to my hip uh, sending text messages all the time, although I find myself doing that now um, every once in a while. No, riding tractors, taking care of farm animals. Like I said, we had a dairy farm. We had turkeys, right? And eating all of the sweet corn that I could get my arms around from the field behind my house, that is what I experienced growing up. I'm not from the city, I'm not from the suburbs, although for some crazy reason God has brought me back to, um, into suburbs and into places that are just completely, I feel like a, a drastic change from where I grew up. But day in and day out, I spend my time not indoors, not, not just kind of killing time or just hanging out uh, doing something that, that wasn't too exciting. No, I spent my time outside um, looking for any sort of adventure that I could find. 
Now, one of my favorite pastimes as part of being a farm kid, but also just being a sibling in general, was to find ways uh, to punish or at least, you know, uh, remind my little brother who he was. The way all of us guys, it seems like, maybe older siblings tend to do from time to time. And on this particular day, the day that I'm thinking about, that I want to share with you today, that method of reminding my brother where he stood in the hierarchy of our family system would be a rousing game, one of my favorite games as a kid, known as King of the Hill. Right? I had seen a dirt pile on our farm sitting next to the barn for weeks. It had been there weeks ago. This mound of dirt had been calling my name, and I felt finally the day had come that it was time to respond. And the game was simple. It's King of the Hill. It's not hard. I mean, any elementary school kid can tell you how to play it. Whoever can maintain control of the top of the hill for the longest period of time until basically the other people give up wins. And to be honest, with my little brother, really, and, and he's not here to hear this, he'll probably catch this on the podcast, but it wasn't really much of a game going against him. Now, sure, I may have had three years. Yes, I may have had 15 or 20 pounds on him as we're doing this. I mean, we're just little squirts at the farm trying to keep up with my dad and getting bored and trying to figure out ways to kill time. But come on, deep down, I think I expect a little more out of my little brother. I mean, he's a Hermanson after all. He'd try running up the hill to tackle me, and I would just step out of the way, and he would miss, or I'd give him the old stiff arm, and I'd wrestle with him a little bit, and I'd throw him down. But when I wanted to be really cruel to my little brother, as he's walking up the hill coming to me, I'd just kind of stand there, and right when his face would get at the appropriate level, I would just kick some dirt right in his face, right in his eyes. And even one time, I, I think I recall getting some in his mouth. We were having the time of our lives, or at least I know that I was having the time of my life, reminding my little brother who he was and reminding him who I was. We were having the time of our lives, that is, until my dad came and shared with us the most interesting, the most valuable, the most sacred knowledge that I had neglected to discover when I chose to have a game of king of the hill on this dirt pile. The dirt pile I so proudly had proclaimed myself king of? Yeah, it wasn't really dirt on a farm, was it? It was actually a pile of turkey waste scheduled uh, to go out to our cropland as soon as harvest was over. And it was at that young age I learned a very important lesson. And this is a lesson, I think this is where our text reading starts, and it really sticks out for me today, is that knowing all of the information can make all of the difference in the world. Right? What had once been an exciting and incredible opportunity for me to demonstrate my incredible wrestling skills with my little younger brother, for me to make a point, to show him how the world was had suddenly turned into something incredibly gross and disgusting and, quite honestly, just nasty, right? The urge that I had to exert my authority and my power over him had suddenly been replaced with an urge to go home and to take a bath. We've all been there, right? We've been there in a situation where if we'd known what we knew at the end when we'd gotten started into this, if we knew what we were going to experience as we walked along this journey, walked along the path, if we knew what the road looked like, would we still walk down that road? Maybe we've taken risks before. We've stepped out in faith. We've even told others, look, I'm going to go do this no matter what you say. And we have no clue about the way things turn out. But if we did, 
would we still be so bold? Well, two of our main characters, we don't know if they're men or women. We know one is, is a man, but the other one, we're not sure if it's a man or woman. But we know this about them, that they have an interest in the movement, in the message that Jesus had in his life and his ministry while in Jerusalem. And we know that they're headed home. You see, for them, it's Sunday, and it's been a long day. And if you're being perfectly honest for them, it's been a long weekend. What began on Thursday with the betrayal of this guy, this, this guy that they believed was the Messiah, the Son of God, this guy named Jesus, had quickly gone downhill. And as things started to unravel on Friday, they watched as this man that they believed to be the all-powerful Son of God had been not only betrayed, but had been beaten, had been mocked, had been arrested, and even had died a horrible death of crucifixion. And as this happened, Friday began to turn into Saturday. And Saturday began to turn into Sunday. And as the days went by, I can only imagine the questions that began to linger in their mind as they began to hear Jesus' voice say things like, I will destroy this temple in three days it will it will rise again it's sunday it's been three days and nothing no little glimpses of jesus no rumors that he's been around except something has happened back in jerusalem and maybe somebody found an empty tomb or something like that but it's pretty obvious from the actions that these bo- these followers of jesus these men or women or or whoever they were it's clear that they're not buying into it, and they're headed home. They see no evidence that Jesus has risen from the grave. The Romans are still in charge. No hero has ridden in on a white horse to save the day. So for three long days, they've been hanging around. They've been waiting endlessly, what seems like an eternity, and they're beginning to ask the question, is it true? Or is everything that Jesus said, everything that's recorded in this book, has it been a lie. And for three days, the silence, the absence of Jesus, alive and well, hasn't just been whispering, but it's been screaming, no. You see, Jesus had a bold and powerful message, and and I think sometimes we can begin to water that down if we don't really take it in its context. You see, Jesus had come to proclaim freedom to the captives, new life for people that needed it. But when we look back to the context, the, the people that he was speaking to and the history, the legacy of their family tree, you can understand the significance had grown even more and Jesus had a very radical and bold message. Years, centuries before, God's people had been enslaved. They'd been under the iron fist of a ruler named Pharaoh. And they'd been pleading, begging with God for freedom. And eventually God heard that cry and he brought freedom. And it's a little story that we like to call the Exodus, where God took his people and he marched them on to freedom. And as we look at Jesus' time, you understand that Rome has come back in. The religious leaders of the day are forcing a sense of bondage on people. The Romans are in control. And again, the people are asking for an exodus. And Jesus' message was that this new exodus has arrived. And yet everything, everything hinged on God's 
on Jesus' message that he would raise from the grave. And if it hasn't happened, then you've got to ask yourself the question, if you're these two walking down this road, is it really true? If they had known it was going to be like this, if they had understood the pain that they would face, the heartbreak that they would endure, would they have gone? They're walking home. Now, I probably could find some really good stories in my life of times where I've heard people say, I told you so. But I'll let you fill in the blanks for that. What are the moments in your life where you've had that person, the last person that you wanted to look you in the eye and say, I told you so? That's what these two are walking back to. They'd been so excited. Jesus had this incredible message, and they'd given up everything to leave home and to go to Jerusalem only to figure out, at least at this point, it seems that it's not true. And so as we can tell by their marching, they're casting their vote, they're stating their opinion, not with their mouths, but with their feet as they walk back home. One author describes hope, and I, I think this is a great definition. Of course, I'm not talking about hope, the church, which we are built on, and I'm going to get to the hopeful end of the story here in a moment. But one author Describes hope is the feeling we have that the feeling we have is not permanent. And we can tell by watching these two followers of Jesus, maybe former followers of Jesus, are starting to get the sense that Jesus being dead and buried and in a grave is something that is permanent. And I think that feeling, that lack of hope, is something that all of us can relate to. In fact, it, it reminds me of one of the scariest moments in my entire life. Now, being a graduate of the University of Northern Iowa, I thought that was a very good accomplishment. And so at the end of my four years of college, I decided that my friends and I, this spring break, kind of wrap up and put a, a crowning achievement on the end of our entire college experience. We were going to have an adventure. And so we decided to do what any crazy college kids would do. We decided to jump in the car and drive somewhere until we figured out where we were going. Having been stuck in the Midwest all of our lives, we had one goal as we talked about it and figured out where we wanted to go. We wanted to go to California and we wanted to go surfing. Plans were made and bags were packed and we were off for an unforgettable trip. But one adventure that I had hoped to do more than anything, as I, as I just said, was to go surfing. I'd tried it once. I loved going snowboard, and I thought, you know, this can't be that hard. I mean, it's California, right? I can, I can go do that. I, I got a chance to do it on vacation with my parents um, at another place. And I thought, you know, I want to get in. I want to try this for real this time. Let's get some real waves, and let's get out there and do it. Only this time around, things didn't go quite as smoothly. Now, the morning began great. We got to this beach. We were at Ventura Beach, and the sun was out, and I thought, this is perfect. We'd had a great breakfast, and we were really excited. And so we head out to the beach around 7 in the morning and began suiting up. Now, keep in mind, since the water was a bone-chilling 40 degrees in the ocean and the surf was up, we put on our borrowed wetsuits, and we picked up our borrowed surfboards, and we jumped in the water and headed down off the, off the edge, pushed off of one of the most beautiful sand beaches that I had ever seen. And as I paddled out to catch a wave, I happened to glance behind me and immediately noticed that something was wrong. 
what had been this breathtaking sand beach with just nice like vegetation and there was grass and it was smooth and it was friendly and it was awesome had suddenly been replaced with a 20-foot retaining wall with jagged rocks that had stretched all the way on down. See, the beach that we had put into had a whole lot of rocks on one side, a little tiny beach, and a whole bunch of rocks on the other side. And as I thought, well, I'm not going to go over there. I'll just swim out and, and, and have a good time, catch some waves, and come right back out. But as I began to realize what had happened, I realized that I was caught in a rip tide, and there was nothing that I could do. So I began doing what everybody would do. I started swimming as hard as I could the opposite direction, trying to get back to this beach, trying to get back to the safety that I knew and the only way that I could see to get out of this problem. Yet as I swam farther and farther to get back, harder and harder to get back, back to the beach, I began to move farther and farther away. And eventually my arms kind of moved from this nice, sharp, crisp American crawl to more of just a wild flailing in the water. Discouraged and exhausted, I had, I had grown so tired that I had no choice but to swim directly to the wall and to try and reach for the ladder, climbing safely above. And as waves began hurling me forward, knocking me up against the wall and dropping me on these sharp rocks, I began to think to myself, I may not actually make it out of this alive. And with one final wave, I landed 10 feet away from the ladder and I thought, this is my chance. I have to go. I have to try and make it. And so I stood up and I ran. I ran as hard as I could only to fall flat on my face. And that's when I realized something was drastically wrong. In fact, I was thinking there may not be a way that I can get even, even get out of this. And so as I looked and I thought to myself, well, how did I trip? What happened? What's, what's going on here? I realized that I wasn't just carrying a surfboard with me, but the surfboard had been attached to my ankle and I had left the surfboard behind only to get it lodged between some rocks. And what really threw me into a panic was the fact that being in this cold water for such a long time, I couldn't even use my fingers to undo the Velcro around my ankle. And so as I sat there ducking for cover as wave after wave pounded me on these rocks and in this water up against this wall, I tried and tried to break free. But finally, I had to give in. I had to realize that I was in a situation where I could not save myself. And at that point, I gave up hope. And I had no clue what I was going to do. Everything that I had tried had failed. And I'm guessing some of you in this room today, maybe, I don't know what you've walked in here with, but maybe you've walked in feeling the exact same way. Maybe just as two men are walking, or two, a man and a woman are walking home from Jerusalem home, convinced that if I had known what it was going to be like, then I never would have done this. Maybe you've walked in with no hope in a situation that you just can't figure out how to work through. We live in an economy where jobs are tough. So finding employment is difficult and it can seem like there's nothing out there that works. Maybe you've sat by the bed of somebody dying of cancer and you've watched this disease take your loved one and turn them into someone that just cannot seem to look ahead with any optimism. Or maybe you've walked with somebody struggling with addiction. 
I don't have to tell you any more about the situations that are around us that seem hopeless. But what I want to remind you, if you're not there now, is that hopelessness is a scary place. Having the sense that our, where we're at is a permanent stage that we're going to be in can be an incredibly terrifying experience. And unless we have something bigger to believe in, we're completely on our own. So just as that day where my incredible California vacation had turned into the nightmare that I had only dreamed of, so these, these people walking home felt like their entire world had been tossed upside down, and it seemed that there was nothing that they could do. These people were living in a Good Friday world, despite the fact that Sunday was just around the corner. That is until you hear the rest of the story. And little did they know that Sunday was about to arrive. As you see, walking down the road, these two weren't exactly alone. Jesus tells us that God himself, Jesus himself, came up to them and began walking with them. Yet for some crazy reason, this information that they needed, the information that would have changed everything, God decided to keep back from them decided to hold on to it. And so they did not recognize him. But as this unrecognized Jesus enters the conversation, I think it's so interesting reading this text that Jesus walks right up to these men and he pokes them where he hurts, where they hurt. Not literally, but figuratively, when he asks them what they're talking about. And as I've been thinking about this this week, and I mean, what was it like for Jesus to walk up and ask them, the only illustration I can come to is imagine walking up to somebody on September 12th and somebody saying to you, what are you talking about? What's, what's all this stuff I hear on the news? I mean, this is an unshakable event that's taken place in Jerusalem and these people are brokenhearted and so when Jesus asks them, it's incredibly surviving. And I love their response as they look at this. They say, are you the only one that hasn't heard about what has taken place? And they go on and they have this great explanation of what's happening to Jesus, but it's only part of the story. And what surprises me in this text is how frustrated Jesus gets with them. And he begins to explain this as they walk and they walk and they walk, eventually getting to Emmaus. Well, as any good journey has, it comes to an end and Jesus acts like he's going to go on. But these men, they can tell that there's something different. They can tell that this risen Savior, they don't even know is Jesus, but they can tell that there's a gleam in this guy's eye. There's got to be something about the way he looked or the way that he explained to them what had happened made them think they, that they wanted to spend some time with him and they invite him in for dinner. And so as they're sitting down, as they find their rooms, as they sit down for a meal, it's only then when Jesus stands up and he breaks the bread and begins going through the meal routine, that their eyes are opened and they realize that it's him. And this changes everything. Because if Jesus is alive, I mean, if he's risen from the graves, then that means that the tomb is empty. That means what everything that Jesus said is true. It's all true. And in an instant... Just as I would love to have known as a little boy that I was playing on a large pile of turkey manure, this little bit of information, it changes everything and it turns it around 
so that they're no longer living in Good Friday, but we realize that Sunday has come, and again, hope is reborn. It's in this moment when we realize that God has conquered death in the grave that we, all of us, can say goodbye to Good Friday. So back to my surfing story, you're probably wondering how it ends. Well, I knew that I was in trouble, and much similar to this story, I knew I was in a position where I had no hope. I was unable to get out of it. But little did I know that the guy that I had borrowed the surfboard from, a crazy guy named Mark, was standing right behind me. In fact, as I'd been struggling in the water, he had been there the entire time. So when I think about it now, I just think, maybe he wanted his surfboard, because surfboards are like $800. Maybe he didn't want me to die. But either way, I was incredibly thankful. And as I realized that he was there, it was as if I had this awakening moment where I realized the situation that I'm in, it's not permanent. There is a tomorrow. There is another day. And so as he reached down and pulled the strap off my leg, picked me up and threw me onto this ladder, I suddenly found, just as these men did, sitting in an inn outside Emmaus, that hope was reborn, that there is a new story to come that this is not the end as we know it. So in awe of all that had just happened, it's interesting that these men are finally put, able to put in words that's what's, what's been happening to them the entire time that they've been with Jesus. And this is what they say, were our hearts not burning within us as he talked with us on the road? Anybody that's had an experience with Jesus knows what this is like. To see the pain and the agony and the depression that comes with feeling like the world is on your shoulders only to be lifted by a risen Savior. It changes everything. And it's not just about the information that we know, but it's about the experience that we have. Yet perhaps the most amazing thing is that when this feeling of grace washes over us, we can't help but be transformed as hope is reborn and feel like we need to get moving. I think it's interesting in this passage where entire, like the majority of this passage is talked about the men working their way towards Emmaus, this long, this depressing, this sad road that they're on. Yet in a single verse, as Jesus shows up, Luke says within the hour that they were on their way again, and the very next verse they're back in Jerusalem. And isn't that true? Walking, walking the long, dusty road with no hope seems like it takes forever. And yet the road that is filled with hope flies on by. So you may be sitting here this morning, you may be saying, all right, this is a great story. I'm so glad that you shared this with me, Andy. But really, what is it all about? What does it boil down to? I'm glad that it all has a nice, warm, fuzzy, happy ending. But what does this do for me? And I think that's the question so many people are asking. This Jesus, this guy that's still alive today, we believe as Christians, what does it mean for me? And so as I read the story this week, four things came to mind. Four things I think God wants you to know here today as part of our worship. Number one being you are not alone. As I said earlier, I don't know what you've walked in here with today, 
and maybe you're having a fantastic day. Praise God for that. But there is this temptation that we have in our humanity to feel like we are the only ones struggling and we are all on our own. Yet it's not the truth. God is right there with us. Maybe he just hasn't opened our eyes to his presence here. The second thing that I think is really important to take away from this text is the fact that growing and following with God is a never-ending experience. What is it you think that you know about God? What is it that you don't know about God, that if you did, you think it would change your life? What is the piece of information that you don't have that's keeping you in some area of your life locked into a good Friday world rather than stepping into Easter Sunday? And along with that, the third one is there is always hope. If you need an example of the hope that we have, the power of Jesus' resurrection, you need look no farther than an empty tomb. And you don't have to do anything special to get God's attention, but instead, you just need to be who you are and admit that you need God in your life. Isn't it interesting as you read this passage that the only people that God appears to right off the bat are two people that have no hope. And as the end of the passage tells us, the other person that he's appeared to at this point is Peter. Peter, the guy who denied him three times. If you found yourself caught in this game of trying to impress God, trying to work your way into an elite spiritual club, or you just have to get your faith figured out, let this story be proof that there is always hope and there's nothing that we can do to get closer to God than simply asking for his presence. And the last thing is, I feel like, and I love that I get to talk about this here at City Branch because I've seen this in action as John has come back week after week and shared the stories of what you guys do here on a weekend. One of my favorite stories was him talking about, I believe it was two weeks ago when you stayed here for 15 minutes or something and then you continued your worship out. And so my final point as a part of this today is that this passage, this story, this walking this road, it's a story about what it means to be the church. Finding yourself in a hopeless situation and wandering on a path that seems like it's never going to end. Being transformed by even the slightest glimpse of Jesus and being compelled to get back on your horse, to hit the road, to make a move and to go out to the world and share that transformative experience with the world. That's what I think it means to be the church. It's who we are and it's what, it's what we do. It's not about being spiritual. It's not about being good. But instead, I think it's about being close to a father's heart and stepping in to help God put the world back together one conversation and person at a time. So as you find yourself thinking, how am I going to get out of this situation? What's next? I say we hit the road. And we wait and see if Jesus comes and finds us. Amen.